Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rush, your co-host, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. I hope it's not too noisy here. There's a bunch of people in here talking, but today is Monday, September 21st, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored and delighted that you're here. You just disappeared, Michael. Okay. We're in two different locations, so I'm not sure what happened on his end there, but we are glad that you're with us. We're glad that you're listening. For those of you who are not familiar with the show, or you can go to our website, be one of the easiest places to start, and it's www.whyagain, that's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And there's all kinds of information about Michael, about me, about the work. Um, the quickest way to get to the work that we refer to is to click on the bullseye in the middle. This work is based on Aramaic Forgiveness which is not letting another person off the hook because something is going on inside of you that is less than love, but it's about going inside and removing that, whether it's anger, fear, hostility, grief, pain, uh, whatever the issue is. If it's less than love, then it is disintegrative to your energy system, to your physical tissue, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. It's all connected. I do a workshop on healing the whole woman, and it refers to men, too. It's healing the whole body. You have to look at all of those issues. What impacts one area impacts all of the areas of your life. And so our work is about going in and how to remove those things that don't belong. And that is, in Aramaic, called forgiveness. It's not pardoning. Pardoning is a nice thing to do. But this is about actually removing what's causing issues in your being. Michael, are you back with us yet? I guess not. So I'll say, welcome, Dr. Tim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Quite well. Awesome. Some nice weather. Long weekend. Not a long weekend, but it felt long because the weather was so nice. 
Yeah, and it I was cooled just down thinking, here too. It did cool down. Yeah, it was actually we were up in St. Louis yesterday, and we drove partway back. We're still not all the way back to Heartland. We had to stop for the radio show because we were uh, concerned that we would lose signal. And so we stopped in a little town called Ava and doing the show from here. And uh, But last night we stopped about halfway here, and it got down probably about 52 degrees. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's back up in the 70s today, but it is nice. Well, we um, in your intro you were talking about, you know, mental, emotional, physical, the whole mind-body thing. And um, I thought about past Sunday, not yesterday, but the week before, Krista Tippett does a a show where she interviews people. It used to be called Speaking of Faith, and now the show is called On Being, O-N-B-E-I-N-G. And if you go to onbeing.org, you can tap into her shows like podcasts and not yesterday, but the week before, she had somebody on, I think the Mormon's name is Ellen, but the last name is Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R. And there were just some wonderful statements, reframes of things that we talk about on here a lot. And the one thing that struck me was that Ellen was talking about how so many people over the years, decades now, have been talking about the mind-body connection. And Ellen just pointed out eloquently that it there's no separation. It's a complete misnomer. It's like in the ancient Aramaic when they only have one word for cause and effect. And to separate it out, to have our mind try to separate out my mind from my body or cause from effect is a is a kind of a a, a mental violence. It, it creates a separation or an appearance or an experience of separation that doesn't exist. And the mind and the body, as these things we call separate entities, are all part of our existence. And they arise out of the energies that one might call the soul. And so everything I do to improve my mental and emotional functioning, every time I do a worksheet, to release an anger or fear or sadness or guilt or shame or internal condemnation of myself or somebody else that doesn't belong there, I'm I'm going to automatically improve my physical well-being and my mental well-being as well as my emotional well-being. So I love this work. I love the process. I love the results it gets me. And um, I'm glad to be here. Did we get Michael back? Did I hear somebody clicking in? I am here. Awesome. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Delighted. Yes, it's all one system, it's, and it's interesting the, uh, the the destructive fantasies we can engage in when we try to separate it out. Uh, I love Einstein's statement that says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And... Kind of what was on my mind today was how we can self-sabotage through our optical delusions. And one of the ways that looks for self-sabotage is that we hold unconscious goals that we refuse to give up. They may be goals that come from 
childhood, from early development, from teen years, from uh, young adulthood, from our genetics that are the overriding driver for our behavior. And oftentimes this also includes what we perceive as our purpose because perception is a purpose-following machine. It is a device that will always give you information that will support you. It will make your world up so that it supports you in your perceived purpose. So, for instance, if you feel like your or think that your purpose is to be beaten up by other people, then your mind will always make it up that you deserve to be beat up by other people. If your perceived purpose is, I have to win at all costs, then whatever your mind looks at, it will make things up so that, well, you know, I may have to destroy my family to do this, but I have to win or look good. And those kinds of unconscious drivers, you know, tied in with a a thought we repeat often from The Course in Miracles, it says, you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. And when I want things to be a certain way, my mind distorts its output so that I end up doing what serves my non-being mind in so many cases when my stated goal is the opposite. You know, I want to do my work. I'm ready to do my work. Uh, becomes a, uh, a position that some people take. And then once they take that position, they're like, yes, I'm committed. I'm going to do it an underlying goal that one has not allowed themselves to touch into, oh, no, I have to go make money, ends up, or I have to survive, or I have to look good, or I have to be in charge, or I have to run the show, or whatever the the goal is. And that goal, the way I want it to be, totally sabotages what I say I really want to do, what I what I want to do in my conscious awareness. And, and that's a, a, all a reflection uh, of what exactly you were saying, Dr. Tim, when we separate out body, mind, and uh, different aspects of our lives rather than perceive it as one whole process. And so unless I go in and forgive the parts of me that drive my goals and my mind in other directions than what I consciously say that I want to create, then I'll find myself moving in the opposite direction and my mind will make the whole story up so that it justifies me in doing what it is that I want to do. So a lot of times chin to being, say that's that's what's really important. That's where I want to go. But they have goals that come from the non-being mind that support non-beingness. And so they find themselves off in another arena. They don't follow through with what they say they're going to do. They don't keep their word. They don't do what's important to them. They do what their goals unconsciously drive them to do. So they're off in a a totally different arena. You know, somebody who says, well, I really want to heal myself. That's what I want to do. And, you know, gee, we're handing people a whole set of tools. But then they find reasons to avoid using those tools have nothing to do with them and go off and, you know, well, I need to make money. So off they are making money, doing business, doing something other than what their real purpose is, what they've stated they want to do because those unconscious drivers run the show. And there's where the forgiveness process becomes so important. And forgiveness, as Jeannie said earlier, is not about letting somebody else off the hook because of what's going on inside of you. It is the way that you remove the drivers that drive your mind to perception, feelings, 
and experiences that are not in harmony with what your true purpose is. And so the the core of the forgiveness process, and I bring up the idea of goals and those unconscious goals because a lot of times people don't realize what goals are running them until they look at their behavior. They say, well, I want my behavior to be about healing myself, and then they go and do the exact opposite. Well, give me a few scotches, let me drink some coffee, let me, you know, eat some junk food, let me, you know, stay with my old habits. And those unconscious goals are simply unconscious. When I'll let myself look at my behavior honestly, now my mind will have a story about why I'm doing it that will make it perfectly logical, perfectly sensible, and a reasonable thing to do. And that's my mind making it up to support my unconscious goals, rather than really engaging in with what sometimes are new, more surface-oriented goals. And the core of the forgiveness process, if you look at the word forgive in Aramaic, it's shebag, and it means to cancel. The core of that process is to look at the goals that are driving my behavior, and if you don't know what they are, look at your results. 2,000 years ago when they said to Yeshua, well, how do you tell where somebody's really at? He says, look at their fruit. Look at the results they're producing. And if I look at my results, I know that I have goals in my mind that are consistent with that. And if I'm not doing what I say I'm going to do or I want to do, it's because I have goals that are inconsistent with that. Though I may set a new goal, the deeper, more emotionally charged, longer-term goal that perhaps has to do with unconscious beliefs in purpose take over and that's why the tools so many of the tools go hand in hand the forgiveness process the purpose worksheet that we do the mind goal management sheet that i make sure that you know you'll you'll notice in the mind goal management sheet there's a checkbox to say is this in harmony with my purpose is this what i really want to be doing or is this taking me into some other arena and so the word shebag is to cancel in aramaic and what happens when i cancel those goals that are driving me to behaviors that are not in harmony with what I say I really want to do, then I get to get in touch with the parts of me that I'm dissociated from, that I'm separated from. And as I allow myself to come back into full conscious awareness of those parts of me, then I get to change them. I get to move through those things that take me off my true chosen purpose and get back on track with what my real purpose is. And what happens when one is off track with their real purpose, they go along with a perceived purpose that was not consciously chosen but was maybe given by the culture or came from the family system or came out of some traumatic experience, they will do things that serve disease, death, and suffering and wonder why they keep doing disease and moving toward death and suffering. Whereas if I'm working on my conscious goals, then my conscious goals will move me toward life, aliveness, and joy, health, and super high-level well-being. And if I'm framing and setting my goals that are in harmony with a consciously select canceling goals that force me off into some behavior that does not support what I say I'm about to do. You know, I was talking to someone recently about them doing their homework, and, you know, they were really committed, and they were really on, man, I'm going to do this. And so I just, you know, asked a simple question, well, how's that homework going? 
And what came back was just a laugh, like, are you kidding me? Do my homework? Well, what, are you crazy? It's like, well, but wait a minute. I, th- I thought you actually wanted to do your work and heal yourself. And, of course, in this case, heal the mind, which would make a shift and change in the body. And so people who are not really doing things consciously like that tend to wonder why they don't heal, why things keep going downhill, uh, whether it's in relationships or in health and well-being or emotional stability. They wonder why they keep going downhill, and they're in that self-sabotage state. And so it takes a significant amount of work to go in and change those dynamics. And then the person who's on track you know, you say, well, gee, uh, you know, if I went out and made some money, then my life would be better. Yeah, but how long will it last? How about if you really did your work, came to high-level wellness, and maybe you'll be around another 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, and you're going to get the opportunity to really do things that your life's about rather than this self-sabotage. Yes, I say I want to do my work, but I'm not going to go there because... My goals don't support it. My unconscious mind doesn't support it. So it's an interesting process as it all unfolds and getting back. And I I love how David Bohm talks about it. If if you want to read a little bit more from another uh, scientist perspective, uh, David Bohm talks about how our experience of wholeness comes from a state of, in his term for that oneness, is unbroken wholeness. Uh, As I say, Einstein's state for the brokenness is it's an optical delusion. We're not seeing things the way they actually are. But read some of Bohm's uh, unbroken wholeness uh, writing, and it's pretty powerful. And so, Tim, I'm, I'm right in alignment with you there, and uh, it's it's so cool to see it coming from, you know, more and more and more and more circles of people, more and more places. I know that we're getting ready to head to uh, Louisiana tomorrow to speak at a, a pastor's conference and the person who runs that conference is uh, working in a, as a Spanish uh, ministry in a Spanish uh, community. And uh, and their stated purpose for aligning with us and taking on this work is to take the work to the whole Spanish world, which is pretty awesome. Of course, we've got uh, a vision for bringing things together and creating novellas that brings the tools into uh, a place where most people in the Spanish world, as I understand, are addicted to these novellas, these short TV series, you know, a few weeks that tells a story of drama and trauma, kind of like a, um, a soap opera, only a short-term soap opera, not, you know, like as the stomach turns where you could be watching it 30 years ago and tune it into a day and today and you'll know exactly what's going on because it's the same story, but rather these short novellas that leave people in their trauma, in their pain, in their suffering, and of course blaming somebody else. There's always the bad guy, there's always the good guy, there's always the bad girl, blah, blah, blah. And so bringing the uh, the work into uh, these novellas and making them available throughout the Spanish world is one of the visions that we're holding for the next grade of uh, of the work that we're doing. So great to have everyone here that's, that's part of the process. Any other thoughts for you, Dr. Tim? Yes, this carrot is delicious. I have a mouthful. Nope. Oh, cool. I got you right in the middle, eh? <laughs> All right. Well, let's check with Jeannie and see if she's got anybody with a hand up in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room. Sweetie? 
chat room's quiet, but we do have a hand up, and it may be Sunny. It's area code 765. You're on the air. Hi there. This is Sunny. Hey there, young lady. Welcome. Hey. Well, um, where you opened the show um, was really, really on point for me, and um, actually I've, I've gotten distracted in the way my brain still works or doesn't work at times in developing new brain cells and uh, new tissue, actually. Um, I'm. Uh, could you remind me to point, because it was very important to me, frankly, and that that's kind of where I am right now, um, bookmarking my brain. Bear with me. Um, <laughs> you said that people don't want to do their work, and can you help remind me here? Are you there? I'm here. Say it again. Okay. Um, well, uh, for time's sake, let me just move on to the next thing I wanted to share, and um, Julie and I doing worksheets together over the phone. Um it's very, very nice, and I appreciate the the fellowship and the just all the love that's involved with the radio show because Julie and I were able to um, hopefully move some things for her um, this time through, and um, I got to do a worksheet of my own <laughs> where Julie may not have been aware of it, and um, brought forth some really good things. It's so nice to, in fact, have someone to partner with. Um, even though we triggered each other in the onset and communicating how we were going to communicate. <laughs> so it was just, it was really interesting to, um, and I, I just really appreciate how we were able to to connect with each other and have that partnership in doing the worksheets together. Um, you're, I'm very, very sorry. I do apologize for... Um, this particular moment where this is part of what I'm working on healing through, where my brain pauses. And um, I'm so preoccupied, I guess, with my original statement, but um, that I, I was going to ask you the question. I was going to ask you about that. Um, so I've you kind of lost track of where, of where you're heading. You lost um, track of the yeah. original statement you wanted to make? Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, you were... I wanted to expound upon and ask you a question about the way you opened the show about how people are, you know, they don't want to do their work and they get sidetracked and go off and do other things other than, but there was something very key in all of that. And I, I cannot apologize more. Um, well, you can let go of apology. Is it something about the self-sabotage <laughs> aspect of it and unconscious goals, uh, purpose, unconscious purpose, maybe inherited from ancestors or coming from uh, traumatic experiences you know, if we come up with an unconscious purpose of I have a traumatic experience, therefore my purpose of my life is to protect myself, then my mind always makes it up that I have to protect myself. So I can have the most loving, wonderful, gentle, awesome, supportive, nurturing, caring person in the world sitting beside me, but my mind will make it up that I have to protect myself from them. There's nothing in the space, nothing in the actuality, but because there's an unconscious driver that says I need to protect myself, then I'll make it up. I'll, I'll literally make up a picture of what I think is their body and, and see that body as threatening to me, and I need to protect myself against it. And so that's the, uh, the unconscious game and uh, the, the, the 
power of unconscious purposes, and as the Course in Miracles says, the distorting power of the way I want it to be. If I want myself to be safe and I believe I live in an unsafe world, then my perceptual system will always distort my perception so that, and I'll make it up so that it looks like the world is unsafe. Does that trigger any of uh, of where you were going or wanting to go? It does, and um, respective to um, the show's purposes, um, when Julie and I were talking, I was triggered by, again, where I had mentioned yesterday or day before about not wanting to face the fear. And she and I did not get to get much beyond that point where maybe you could help me with. And it comes back to the lessons of Job. And um, that which I fear I have brought upon me, you know. And I do know that we can oftentimes attract to ourselves that which we fear the most if we're not consciously aware of, you know, the truth and the truth of our being healing through our fear. And I don't know if I do have fear because that's where I'm, I'm... Getting over, I'm going to write this, I'm going to have to do a worksheet on maybe being still slightly embarrassed by, um... So take a breath. Sounds like you're confused. Uh, Yeah. And confusion is a perfectly fine place Mm -hmm. to be. So I just invite you to just take a breath and let your mind be still and quiet down a little bit. With all the words about fear that you just spoke, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty safe, uh, uh, bet to say that some worksheets on fear would be appropriate. And, of course, the the tie-in for fear is safety. I want to be safe. And so a place to start might be in canceling your goal to be safe. And as you cancel your goal to be safe, then you'll get to look into the deeper part of your mind that's in fear of safety, around safety issues, and as you collapse that, then you get to get free of that. And you collapse it, strangely enough. Now, for anybody that's new to it, as Jeannie said earlier, we invite you to go to the uh, to the website and whyagain.org and click on the bullseye. You might have to scroll down the page a little bit and take a look at, there's a, a video link for a um, PowerPoint presentation that Bill Costantino made up, created for us, that gets right to the core of the forgiveness process and why one would do such a silly thing as cancel a perfectly good goal. You know, in the case of I want to be safe, and I realize that I have a lot of fear in my file on being safe, then the way I get to what's underneath the surface is by canceling my goal to be safe. And what happens when I do that, the reason why that's so powerful is the core of forgiveness that when I cancel the goal to be safe, I collapse the perceptions that come out of the way that I make it up around being safe or not being safe. And instead of just seeing the surface of my mind around that issue of safety, and that is I always need to protect myself, I get to drop into the deeper part of my mind where I made it up that I need to protect myself. So it might be when I was three and, you know, I went running out the front door and there was this huge dog in front of me and I got bitten. So now I 
create this. I make it up that and I got to look around every corner to be safe. When I and, and of course, because I believe it's an unsafe world and I will be attacked as I was when I was three, I keep setting out this signal. And as Job says, as you mentioned, that which I feared most has come upon me. And if there's a dog ready to bite the neighborhood, it's going to come find me for dinner because I'm setting out a signal that will draw that dog in. But when I cancel my need to be safe, I can drop into that part of my mind that holds perhaps the terror from that early experience. And as I expose that early experience to love, I dissolve that content and I come back to a balanced world. Gee, do I take care of myself so that I'm in reasonable safety? Of course. Do I have so much terror that I'm afraid to, to step forward, afraid to do anything in my life? And, and when I do, I'm always drawing some form of attack. Well, if, I'm, if that's where I'm living in an imbalanced way, then forgiveness, canceling the goal, is how I get to heal that part of my mind. So I support you starting to do some worksheets around that idea of safety and 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 notice that you know there's a tendency to go into a long conversation once you identify a core issue. And I'll just invite you to let go of that conversation. And once you see a core issues around fear, okay, so what goals do I need to let go of in order to heal that part of my mind? Well, so as I do, I, I get to heal it. It's cool. <laughs> Well, um, I've taken a look at the fear, and I appreciate that. But what this experience that I felt very safe in uh, sharing with you I, is a fear that that is ever going to happen at a very inappropriate time. And uh, I appreciate you being so gracious with me. And that's where... It's to be on your team. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Perfect example of how many bits of information your brain can process at one time, and uh, sooner or later it'll it'll kick you offline. <laughs> the little computer just kind of, you know, it's had you know full. You have to uh, close out some things before you can open another file. So, um, there's been a lot of mental processing in that. Part of where um, I'm very grateful to all of you there and grateful to Julie. Um, I didn't know there was so much emotion behind um, the few times that does happen to me now where my brain just turns off. And um, so I'm going to do some work well, on that. <laughs> cool. It sounds like it sounds like you're opening. I, I, I suspect that probably fairly recently you hit a new level of vitality and clarity, and it sounds like you've opened to a new depth that's taking you back into some of those old dynamics, and they're going to take you through healing them on a whole other level. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's the the old toxic former self and literally physically and cellularly uh, for me. I'm so honored. (laughs) And it doesn't make it always fun, but... um, Wow, what a what a deal! Um, Nobody yeah. said it was going to healing was going to be Doctor Feelgood. That's uh, <laughs> that's one of the biggest challenges with it is it's not Doctor Feelgood. There's work to be done, and we're here to support you in doing that work. Well, God bless you. I hope this somehow serves someone out there too. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, I'm sure Thank it will. You. I'm sure okay. it will. All right. You have a blessed day. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.
646-200-4169 is our call-in number. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, you can call that number. And if you put your hand up, uh, and that is if you hit one, your hand will go up, and Jeannie will see that you have a question for us or a comment, and you'll be in the in the queue for uh, for chatting with us. So, Jeannie, anything happening in the uh, chat room or anything uh, in the phone queue with ready for conversation? No, nobody has their hand up. Nobody has a question. Um, perhaps we had uh, a conversation yesterday afternoon, and you said that might be a topic to discuss also today and it was someone who um, was having some issues with the and it was like genetic uh, she had actually made the statement that um, she realized that she had picked up and was doing some of the same behaviors that generations before her had done um, it had to do with uh, you know suppressing alcohol it was like alcohol used to suppress fear or pain or whatever and that she realized that um, doing their behavior and taking it on was also a way of hanging on to them and keeping them close and you said that might be also a good topic to discuss today so if we don't have any further questions you might want to go there great good idea yes Absolutely, and uh, you know my my take is that uh, all addiction doesn't matter what it is is an effort to cover pain. When when denial and remember in this work our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though you're the cause of something that's happening inside of me, I'm in denial, and when I enter into denial, I have to hide the part of me that's creating what I'm currently experiencing. And so my denial leads to dissociation. What I've dissociated from, I can no longer heal. Now, when holding the breath and denial isn't enough to hide that content from myself, then the tendency will be to find some circumstance, substance, uh, or act, person or activity with which to anesthetize myself against what I'm feeling. So if I need an anesthetic, and it can be virtually anything that I compulsively use to avoid feeling what's real for me and or honestly communicating about what's going on for me. And the, the third one is that I use it to avoid, compulsively use it to avoid hearing and following my highest guidance. That's my experience with, with addiction is that that's what people do in order to do those three things. And oftentimes the call to addiction, when somebody says, and it, it ties in very well with what we were speaking about a few minutes ago, when somebody says, well, I'm finished with alcohol, I'm not going to do alcohol anymore, and there are a thousand voices in the genetic history that when the stress is up and the chips are down, say, give me a fifth of scotch, that literally that unconscious part of the mind, that unconscious voice can drive me to behaviors that I say I'm never going to do again. It's a self-sabotaging. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier. And when I hold those old goals, and so I may want to develop the ears to listen. You know, one of the uh, the invitations of this work is to do what it takes to develop a set of skills that has been virtually unheard of on planet Earth. 
to develop a set of skills that you'll have a tough time finding anybody on the planet that isn't associated with this work having this conversation. And that is the skill and the ability to reach into and become consciously aware of and decode every nook and cranny of my mind, my thoughts, my emotions, and my genetics. Now, it's a skill. You don't, on day one, you don't spend a whole lifetime ignoring all of those inner prompts. You know, there's there's this outer exploration. We're going off into outer space. Isn't that great? Much, much, much deeper, more important exploration is what's going on in inner space. But that exploration, having been treated in a surface way, and I think because people haven't had the tools, you can't just say, oh, I want to know about my unconscious mind. It's like, you know, you're you're digging into a, a mine shaft that goes 10 miles deep. You're going to need the right tools, the right support, the right power supply, the right equipment to do it. Well, in precisely the same way, and that's what we've been working on developing, is the tools that empower people if they'll take the time to do it. Now, if your focus is out there, oh, I need to go make money, then, you know, don't kid yourself that you want to heal that you want to do your work because that's just not true. And that's okay. And it takes the, the the time that it takes for each individual to develop the willingness and the commitment to actually move into a different direction, to actually step in and do what it takes to change those parts of the mind. And that means that I'm going to get quiet enough, I'm going to get still enough, I'm going to develop the capacity to ask the question, where did this come from? You know, we had a young lady at an intensive. I spoke about her a couple of weeks ago, but she was at, actually it was at uh, work month, um, work week back uh, earlier this summer. And she was experiencing some of the effects of emotionally and mentally of sexual abuse, though she'd never been sexually abused. And this young lady was really committed to doing her work and as I guided her and asked her to go inside and ask where this came from, she knew her grandmother, and her grandmother came forward. Her grandmother, who had passed away, came forward inside her mind and explained to her the sexual abuse that she had experienced at the hands of her this young girl's grandfather. It was like a revelation for her, but opened a whole different space. Now, if you spent your life avoiding, those conversations have always been going on inside of you. That information has always been there. But if you spent your life living in a world that teaches you, oh, don't pay attention, no, no, don't go there, no, no, never do that, don't open Pandora's box, don't, no, 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 then it's going to take time, it's going to take work, it's a skill-building process to open those parts of the mind. And so if it was great, 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 great grandfather who, you know, was the first one in the bloodline to really get hooked into alcohol, then what may surface in order to clean up the inclination to use alcohol, and it's sort of, again, it's a a dual process, I choose to stay clean, and then once I choose to stay clean, I do that one day at a time, and Whenever the inclination comes to do alcohol, I stop, I breathe, I use the tools, I ask to be shown how to understand what's driving me in the direction of that behavior. And if I'm willing to listen deeply enough, there'll come a day where I'll hear great, 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 great grandfather's voice 
and he will explain to me the terrible thing that happened to him that caused him to become an alcoholic, that he turned to alcohol and used alcohol to anesthetize himself and perhaps kill himself. And that voice, that inclination, that drive, and those goals exist in all the generations. It's actually been fairly well recognized that oftentimes alcoholism skips a generation, and then that voice comes back into play. And the drive to use something to anesthetize. And so it's a process of chipping away. You know, one of the key workshops in that regard is the codependence to interdependence communication workshop. And that workshop really focuses in how to open those spaces that hold those voices and instead of putting them into your brain's image of someone else, being able to listen very clearly and very carefully to them within yourself at every given moment and change the dynamic. So so is that kind of tying in, Jeannie, with what you were thinking about as you uh, brought that forward and yes. what our conversation was Absolutely. yesterday? Yep, absolutely perfect. And it looks like all of the conversations today are tying into, they may be a little bit different topic, but they... I just lost you, Jeannie. Can you hear me? Go um, ahead. We just okay. we got a different topic, oh. but and then you disappeared. The same concept, and so it's you know the same general principle of everything that we've talked about today is all linked together. So I think that's absolutely perfect. So six four six two hundred four one six nine, and press one, and that puts lets us know that you want to ask a question. Chat room's pretty quiet today. We've got about 17 minutes, so we've got time. I know that, Jeannie, you've been kind of working in this arena with some folks. Uh, do you have any other thoughts to add to that conversation? Uh, no, not at the moment. My mind's kind of, I have a session with someone after the show, and I've kind of got all my mind going in that direction, and and. Uh, it, it's sort of along those lines, but I uh, don't feel at liberty to, to share the details on that right now. So, Sure, cool. Well, how about Dr. Tim? Do you have any thoughts in that regard, Tim, in, uh, in the work you've done in the realm of addictions? Well, just that the whether it's addictions or any other um, symptom that people come to me trying to resolve, quite often it's the product of a cross-generational pattern. And the cross-generational patterns are so difficult to see that even trained professionals need hand-holding and multiple repetitions and, you know, little patterns exposed one bit at a time because it's, it's simply not what we're focused on. And I remember going to a an advanced, it was booked as an advanced family therapy training, and it, it took course took place over the course of a year, and it was nine different sessions. And we would meet once a month, and then we took a break for the summertime, and then we met again. And And as the therapist who was leading this mapped out the genealogies or the genograms, 
every one of us that was the subject was completely blind to the patterns that everybody else in the room saw instantly. And everybody who was in the class was a therapist with at least 15 years' experience doing therapy. And yet every one of us was blind to our own cross-generational patterns. So the willingness to go and look and the willingness to understand that if I've cleared out everything I can think of and done the worksheets and done the breathing and tapping and done the mind shifters on the stuff in my immediate life, it's quite possible that what I'm bumping up against is a bigger pattern that goes cross-generationally, probably on both sides, at least on one, mother's side or father's side of the family. And my willingness to go there is the key, as with all of this work. And I, I'm very appreciative of the tools because, as you mentioned, it can take a variety of different tools to flesh out a pattern that's completely invisible to my logical mind. You know, that what I'm calling the rational mind. I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the... Uh, the passage in uh, in why is this having me on the chapter that talks about choosing teachers uh there's definitely because of that kind of blindness that occurs that kind of blockage of truth there's definitely a need to select someone that you're willing to trust for input and when you get the input you know when one gets the input they most need their stress is going to skyrocket and unfortunately the tendency is then for whoever stress is skyrocketing to puke on the person they've selected to support them. That's such a, a common dynamic that they want to make it somebody else's fault. And or, you know, if they have a strong need to be right, then, you know, rather than having any interest in what is right, their interest is in being right. And when they get feedback, their mind always makes up the story about how, well, yeah, but, you know, here's what's wrong with you and here's why this is your problem and it has nothing to do with me. And, you know, that's that's such a, uh, a common perspective as well is wanting to take off the head of the person supporting. And so uh, if if you're making it up about somebody that you've asked to support you, that it's their problem, I invite you to think about that. And, you know, if the person that you're making it up about, that it's their problem, uh, truly is out of line, then find somebody you trust, but you got to find somebody you trust. Because as, as Dr. Tim says, you know, really well-trained professionals can't do this. You know, it's virtually impossible for someone to see through their own blockage of truth. And so select someone whose directions you're going to take and you're going to follow them. It will save your life. It was interesting. Uh, Jeannie and I went and saw a, a very intense movie last night. Actually, last week we were in Branson and we went and saw Everest, which we thought was the new movie that was coming out. It turned out it was a uh, a documentary actually about the same events as a true story that happened on Everest where I believe it was nine people died. And Jeannie and I afterwards were processing the movie, which we saw last night. Very, very intense. If you have any issues about death, this movie will bring it up. Take worksheets with you and remember to breathe. But um, But there were two different people who if they had listened to the person that they chose to trust, 
instead of making it up that that person was wrong and they knew better, they'd have been alive today. These two people died on Everest because they decided they knew better than the mentor that they selected to support them. And and that's an old dynamic of the mind making it up that, no, no, I always have to be right. And if you find yourself always having to be right and having to know it all and know the answers, even if you have to make them up. I had somebody I was talking to the other day who actually said to me when they they pronounced a principle or an idea that went totally against the principles of the teaching, they actually said to me, well, you know, I, I, I'm saying this based on nothing, but this is the way I believe it works. And it's like, well, here's the quote from the master who says, here's how it really works. Well, yeah, but I want it to work this way. And and just totally and completely ignored principle, and they're going to make it up the way they want it to be. And that's one of the, that's what happens when we're about protecting the non-being mind and the non-being self instead of growing into the true self. And so it, it definitely takes some kind of support and, and oftentimes more than one person support. Uh, Tim, in the uh, workshop you're talking about, I, I would suspect that probably there was more than one person who was there to give input to each of those professionals to to get them to be able to see the patterns they were blind to. Well, that was the benefit of this, was that we were a group of 12 or 13 therapists, and we were there to support each other. And it took sometimes the entire team of us as observers to help the person in the hot seat actually see the pattern they had they had just described to us. And, you know, two things came to mind while you were talking. One of them was when I was in graduate school, one of the best things I ever heard from somebody was he was uh, an advanced student who was helping us, and um, he talked about how he was on the phone with one of his friends from California uh, one night, and his friend gave him some feedback and um, our our therapist friend said, well, you know, right now I feel like swearing at you and hanging up. So I know you must be telling me the truth. And so early on in my career, I had the blessing of somebody feeding to me the idea that if I'm triggered, it's me who's got the issue not the person I trust or respect who said something that I'm having this triggered response by. And the other thing that came to mind is this this technique called family constellations work. And it's another place where you can go and get help from this energetic system in a loving, nurturing, supportive environment, other people who will actually, if you ask them and, and they're in the right space, they will actually take on the roles of different people in your family to help you unravel problems. And and it's um it's been around for decades and it's a very powerful system where a very skilled facilitator invites people into the field and does a little introduction, a little ceremony to help everybody understand everybody has brought their families of origin with them. Everybody's brought their bloodlines with them and energetically they're all here. And in an effort or in in the spirit of trying to help and heal, we're going to role play what this person and or this person might need to heal. And then people take the roles and are just moved by the energy of 
this field, as it were, and very powerful uh, revelations and healings and integrations take place in what is called family constellations work. So that's another place that if people were interested in getting input from someone other than just themselves, they might be able to get We've support. Done We've done something similar to that at Heartland, have somebody role play, like if someone has an issue, like say with a, a parent or a grandparent, and they're maybe even no longer in their body, and then someone else in the intensive will volunteer to represent that person and sit in front of them, and they have communication back and forth. And it is very powerful. That brings up another question. Um, and someone who is working with an, an addiction, uh Besides doing this work and working with, say, a counselor or something like that, um, I am assuming that both Michael and Dr. Tim, you would also suggest that they participate in like an AA group or or NA group or something like that? Well, I always recommend if somebody's got an addiction going that they get support, all the support they need wherever they can. And one of the things I tell people about those support groups, AA, NACA, is just keep shopping around. A lot of times people come to me and they're reluctant, but then they they go to one or two and they find a group, they just love it, and they say, this is my home group. And then they just start going to that one group. And they'll come back to me and I'll say, well, now make sure you keep shopping around for other groups. And they say, why, there's no need. I found my home group. These people are like family to me. And I try to educate them about the, the nature of a group. The nature of a group is that it changes its flavor and its functioning and its personality with the addition or loss of yet even one person, but certainly with two or three people. So if I have somebody who's going to use a 12-step group for support and they're only tapped into one, and then that group changes, one or two people come in that are triggering or the one or two people leave who were really driving the the loving nature and supportive nature of the group, all of a sudden my my person that I'm dealing with has no support group and they're starting from scratch again. So I just encourage people to recognize whenever I go to a support group, I'm dealing with other people just like me and they've all got their own issues and that many people are not functioning from the place of 100% responsibility for what they're feeling. So shop well, be a wise consumer, and yes, I often encourage people to go out and get additional support. Awesome, thank you. I'm in full agreement with that, Tim, and uh, and also, of course, with with this work, you know, for someone who's dealing with some of the issues we're talking about, as I said earlier, the codependence communication practice, powerful place to open that up, and and remember that ultimately all of the support that you look toward, the purpose of it is to empower you to go to your inner tutor. It's not to hook you to a group. It's not to hook you to a therapist. It's not to hook you to a teacher. It's to support you and give you the tools so you can go direct to the same sources they're going. And you have that ability. Oftentimes people are given disempowering thoughts that they buy into by people who have some insecurity and want to hook people on them. We're always looking to tie you into your source because that's where the highest wisdom possible is going to come. Now, of course, it takes time to build the brain cells to discern 
when you're in touch with that and you're not just running an ego program. And again, your feelings will tell you all of the above. What are the circumstances that you find yourself in? But uh, to keep dropping into deeper parts of the mind, cleaning up those deeper parts of the mind, and opening the space, being in that silent, receptive place where there is no activity but the activity of the power that resides within you, and that power will give you such amazing, awesome insight because it and it alone has access to the status, direction, motion of every molecule in the universe and your interaction with it. And it is there to support you uniquely. As the power flows through me, it's there to support me uniquely. As it flows through Jeannie, it's there to support Jeannie uniquely. Dr. Tim to support Dr. Tim uniquely. Each one of us. And so what we're always working to do is to give you the tools to go directly to that support so that unique, custom-made information, understanding process that you need will come to you directly. And that's the purpose of all support. And so we're down to, what, about four minutes now? Three minutes, my goodness. Uh, we got two. So we've got time for a very quick question, if anybody has one. Otherwise, we'll just say that uh, we have our schedule on the website for next summer. So if you're ready to jump in and do a new layer of work, Next summer, take a look at uh, whyagain.org under the flyers, and you'll see a flyer. You can download a two-page flyer that explains the whole summer to you. We're looking at doing one or perhaps two intensives uh, later this year in Florida, probably sometime in February or March thereabouts. And so if you're interested in joining us for something along those lines, that would be awesome. We are gathering uh, two weekends from now, a group of folks at Heartland to kind of brainstorm on the upgrading and then taking Heartland to the next level and do some work projects. So if anybody wants to join us for that, touch in and come and play for a few days. And beyond that, we are appreciative of the fact that you're here. We invite you to bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. If this show has been meaningful to you, then we invite you to download it and email it to somebody or make a copy of it on a a thumb drive and give it to somebody or put it on a CD and and have somebody listen to it. And uh, bring a stranger to the show tomorrow and create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Lots of love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.